Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you, as always. Questions? Got some for us? We'd love to hear from you. Drop them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Questions, topics, things you want us to hit. Circle back, drop deeper into. We'll be talking about that later in the show. Just to open up the show, I... um was watching the news and they were talking about the uh, not okay to say gay law that's been passed in Florida, which for many is um, just a sign that we are definitely rolling backwards. Quite horrific. Uh, God, Florida and Texas, what are y'all doing? Um, And I was thinking about how to talk about that on the show and it was kind of painful, my first thought, because how do I, not even how do I, but I can't believe that I need to find a way to validate, legitimize um, a human being, you know? And I think about the educational system and what its goal is, and it should be education. And education means the acknowledgement of life, reality, history, what is. It's not ever about promoting anything or supporting anything. It's just, again, about exploring and learning about how the world exists and who exists within the world. And it hurts my heart that there's this idea that to acknowledge the diversity that exists with, within gender and sexual orientation, that that is somehow bad or toxic or inappropriate or, you know, sexualization, especially when we have no problem normalizing heterosexuality, which is again, the sexualization and talking about prom and who people's prom dates are and all those different things. And, you know, my God, you know, people talking about straight hetero history and again, high school really supporting and grade school hetero social developmental milestones like, you know, um, king and queen and, and prom dates, like I said, and all of those different things. Uh, that has never led any of the queer or gay or trans individuals to somehow not exist because of that education. So I don't know why we think the inverse would have that impact. But bigger than that, I will always support and legitimize all humans as they exist. No human is without worth and value, regardless of their gender, sexual orientation, relational style, you know, religious beliefs or whatever it is. So I, I, I had first approached this topic wanting to arm myself with stats and facts and figures about uh, the health of gay identity and raising gay children. And I was like, that is so gross. I, 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 I shouldn't have to, like I said, validate or legitimize the existence of diverse, creative human beings. Um, so, so offensive and heartbreaking. And, you know, we talk about how all violence intersects and supports other forms. Um, we either respect individuals or we don't and we can't cherry pick um, based on arbitrary belief systems who we think is worth and value and who doesn't and I worry also about the children of some of these parents who are anti-gay and anti-trans that they themselves might be you know part of the LGBTQIA community so what does it look like for them to be raised in that kind of household where they're not only not safe or welcomed but they're also actively seeing their parents try to challenge the legitimacy and worth and value of their existence. That's quite violent and traumatizing. Um, and then again, I think about those students in class now knowing that um, the school board and the school system and the governor and laws also are trying to violently target and illegitimize their presence and existence. It's quite gross. I worry about the teachers, of course, as well. And um, only more to come. I, I've never in my time seen anything quite like what's happening. So what am I saying? I'm saying I, I, I'm not going to validate 
gay rights with stats and facts and figures because I don't have to. Because if a human being is in existence, then they have the right to feel safe. They have the right to feel respected. They have the right to feel cared for regardless, or I should say regardless of um, any other factors. Um, and what's interesting is just to give you some of the positive things that I have, you know, learned and, and seen that, um, you know, a lot of benefit comes from people being educated and introduced to the, as I keep saying, the creative diverse ways that people exist because that normalizes diversity and that helps us better, um, interact with and accommodate all the different kinds of people we're going to encounter throughout our lives, uh, different cultures, um, and different elements of different cultures, different languages, different fashions and styles, different types of food and cuisine. And we need, and we can learn a lot from that and we can be expanded and transformed by that. But even if not, we have to learn how to make space for and value that everyone is not the same and everyone does not look like us or act like us or live like us. And that is an important lesson that I think should be a part of the educational system, excuse me, is learning how to participate in different cultures and to find value in them. So it hurts my heart that we're marginalizing and continuing to oppress um, and exclude. So we'll see what happens next because, uh, you know, we're, we're watching all the dominoes fall. So we're going to keep talking about it. Uh, yikes. It hurts my heart. I don't, I don't even know where to go with such a topic, right? Like what do you center when you watch these states trying to pass these violent laws? All you can do is just talk about the legalities of it, I suppose. But what was really great to see, just side note, was how a, a DA was uh, speaking about a lot of other DAs that were publicly um, signing documents claiming that you know they weren't going to take these cases. And the news anchor said, well, if it's a law, isn't, isn't that something you are you know, mandated to do because you're the district attorney, as are these other people? And he said, no, it's at our discretion to decide what laws and when broken that we prosecute based on you know, available resources. And we are absolutely not taking this one on. And so sigh of relief with that. Stick around, y'all. More to come. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we're back and uh got some interesting stuff 
we're going to talk about, um, I thought this was actually kind of fascinating. And I was um, looking at, you know, again, some things that might have been beneficial that came out of, you know, COVID pandemic. And I, I say that as though we're out of it. We're not. But uh, what are some of the takeaways? And every now and then I come up with a concept and you start Googling to see what kinds of things come out of that concept and it can take you in an interesting direction. And then you start doing research around that new interesting landing point and direction. And it was kind of about takeaways. And we have this concept in mental health. Well, I shouldn't say a concept in mental health. There's this, there, there, I'm not sure I want to frame it. I want to kind of globalize it, universalize it further than just this idea of um, a, a diagnostic syndrome or whatnot. But we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. And those of us in the field that are trauma-informed, which is where the field is going, and those that really don't use diagnostics, which also is where the field is going, um, we call it post-traumatic stress. It's not a disorder. It's a understandable, healthy response to something that is larger externally than what you have the internal coping mechanisms and resources with which to deal and cope and integrate and make sense of. So post-traumatic stress is a reasonable response. I'm not saying it's positive, healthy, or makes you happy. Well, I'm saying it is healthy. I'm saying that's, that's, that's what happens when we are in trauma. We have a post-traumatic related stress response you're supposed to it's not disordered my point though is there's also the idea of post-traumatic growth now it is not an attempt at a silver lining it's the idea is not to say oh well look at all the things that i benefited and walked away with but it is acknowledging that there are some outcomes that can be enhancing strengthening and positive as a result of having dealt with something that was traumatic so it's kind of within the rubric of post-traumatic growth, like as a result of the pandemic and COVID and all the different horrible things that we've been through that are kind of around that. It's like a constellation of things. Um, what are some of the ways in which it's enhanced us or, or we've grown as a result of it? What are some of the takeaways? Because I think there, there are many. And as someone who likes to critically analyze things, I always like to look back and say, how did that impact us on a more global sense or a macro sense? Or, you know, how are we different as a result of what can we learn from? And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about. Like, what are some of the takeaways? And I think that there's something really powerful and meaningful in that because we can learn and grow from every event, whether positive, negative, traumatic, or very integratable. Um, and I think that that's often what maybe is the second stage of mental health work is the first stage is kind of stabilizing and returning to returning to a former or a new baseline level of functioning. But then I think there's got to be this like second phase, which is where we look back and reflect on it and say, how am I different as a result of that? Is there anything that I've learned as a result of that? It's not again, toxic positivity, or trying to find gratitude for what happened, although that could be a part of some people's journeys. It's more just really looking at um, what do we learn? And I think there's a lot we've learned good, bad, as a result of what's going on politically in our current climate. Some of it's just a reminder or reinforcement of some of the toxic things we already thought or already knew. But I do think there's some takeaways. Um, the first one for me was really looking at people's coping mechanisms. And I, a lot of people I'm working with, a lot of patients in my practice, um, either developed new and surprising coping mechanisms or really relied upon standard you know, very familiar ones or over utilized to a point of their detriment where in normal times, their relationship with, you know, drugs, alcohol, food, television, shopping, reading, napping, you know, isolative, reflective time, whatever it was, was very functional. You know, you're allowed to use food to cope with your feelings. You're allowed to use sex and masturbation and porn to cope with your feelings. You're allowed to read to cope with your feelings. You're allowed to go for a walk or do yoga to cope with your feelings. These are all self-soothing, right brain-centered activities. Okay, and I just a special caveat. You're allowed to use sex and food for coping. They are healthy, self-soothing coping mechanisms and resources because a lot of the world and a lot of field psychology pathologizes those things. And if someone uses them, then they're like, you're a food addict, you're a sex addict. It's like, calm down, Mary. That's not true at all. Um, but we want to have a wealth of coping mechanisms. We don't want to over, excuse me, we don't want to over rely upon the same ones. And that's the point. 
because we're not always going to have access to them and they're not always going to work. And if we over rely upon them, we actually tend to move them away from being coping mechanisms and they become more, um, they become tools maybe for keeping us stuck. You know, coping mechanisms are supposed to soothe us. Coping mechanisms are supposed to help us deal with. Coping mechanisms are supposed to shave down the sharp edges, but they're not to, they're not to make us stuck. And if we're over-reliant upon this, you know, specific ones or certain ones, they can become a little problematic. Um, and that's kind of what I saw some people get stuck in, where they're like, oh, I'm gaming a little more than I'm comfortable with, or I'm shopping a lot more, or I'm relying upon food in ways that aren't really familiar for me, or I'm not really comfortable with. Um, We'll talk more when we come back after the break, but um, the this relationship to coping mechanisms I think is really valuable because we have to decide what we want our relationship to be moving forward. So we're going to come back and talk about that. So stick around. We'll be back. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. More to come. All right, y'all. We're back and we're talking about takeaways. We were kind of examining... Um, this beautiful concept of post-traumatic growth and how after really difficult times, times that might lead to some trauma, there are still some things that we walk away with that have been enhanced or strengthened or just maybe insights. We're, criti we're critically analyzing everything. It's not about having gratitude for horrible things that happen. It's about understanding that it, there might be some things that we wanna reflect back on that have been very meaningful. And the pandemic and COVID has been a really reorganizing event worldwide. And it's left us with some learning and we were kind of opening up talking about um, coping mechanisms and how there's so many different ways. And the distinction I always make First and foremost is that there's a difference between self-care and coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms aren't necessarily good, bad. It's just what we rely upon and what we use. It's judgment-free. And then self-care are the ones that tend to be enhancing or strengthening or positive. So not all coping mechanisms are going to be positive or nourishing, but they're still a coping mechanism. They're ways we deal with what is bigger than that which we have the internal resources for. We are not built as humans to be able to manage and deal with everything. The world has presented us with situations like global pandemics, um, civil unrest, political fear and anxiety, all sorts of things that are happening that we don't necessarily have the ability to really deal with and tolerate in a healthy, sustainable way. And we were talking about the over-reliance upon certain forms of coping mechanisms, and that could be a problem because some of them could lead to what is addiction. There's no such thing as addiction. It's about your relationship to these certain factors. Let's say, for instance, drugs and alcohol. And it might be problematic at one point, but not at another time. It might be problematic in some ways. It might be problematic with just specific things, right? We don't want to just reduce it down to, are you an alcoholic or are you not? That's not really thoughtful or intelligent. We have to understand why, what, how, what is it a symptom of? And maybe it's just faulty coping. For some people, they over relied upon maybe drugs and alcohol during the pandemic for whatever reason. Now they're realizing I need to readjust my relationship. I don't necessarily have to never use these substances again. Um, I have to just have more awareness and consciousness. And I want us to apply that to online shopping, to technology use, to gaming, to food, whatever it might be, just really assessing now that we're still in the pandemic, but now that we're maybe more stabilized, we can bring a consciousness and decide what we wanna carry forward with us. And that's where mental health comes in examining yourself, interrogating yourself, having some mindfulness. We move through the world in a very mindless way. Most people aren't examining their thinking, they just buy into it. Most people aren't examining their feelings, they just buy into it. Again, you wanna think about your thinking and say, is that rational, is that reasoning, is that reasonable, is that realistic? Do I have any data to even confirm that? Hold it loosely, but the same things with our emotions. Is that reasonable? Is that rational? More importantly, is that right-sized? Is my response really based on the severity of what's happening? So coping mechanisms, we need to examine them. But the whole point of this segment was to talk about the fact that sometimes that we've gained some good ones, that now you're realizing, I like plants. Now you're realizing, I need to nap and rest more. Now you're realizing downtime has been very healing. How can I continue to build that in? Maybe you're realizing I need to work less. I need to say no to more things, set better, better boundaries with my boss, my supervisor. I need to set better boundaries with my partner, with co-parenting and housework. Maybe I need to set better boundaries around my availability socially, whatever it is. Is. That's a positive thing. I want us to bring mindfulness and awareness and consciousness to what we want to leave behind and to that which we want to take forward. So really look at your coping mechanisms and say, is that, do I like my relationship to these things? Do I need it to shift or change? 
Um, another positive thing that we've learned how to do is deal with some of these larger senses of anxiety. Um, you know, anxiety is very much rooted in a devaluing of the resources we might have access to. And it's also very much about an, an exaggerated appraisal of the threat where we tend to amplify it. A lot of things we have anxiety around, we don't need to, or not to the severity that we do, or we need to realize we have resources and ways of coping with this. And so I hope we can also bring that into our awareness, realizing that we might have a little more control over some things or less control, and that's okay as well. Um, the corona anxiety, we start to realize if we were thoughtful about who we spent time around, washing our hands, wearing a mask, that that was helpful. We realized with things like the elections, we have to be aware of how much time we're spending around news and within certain kind of conversations and the impacts they're having on us. So again, we're really checking with our bodies and our systems to let that communicate to us whether or not we need time away from certain things, time away from certain people, time away from certain topics, and letting that really, really, really guide us. I want us, I want us to stay with that. I want us to continue to prioritize that. I want to continue to use our mental health and how we feel in our bodies as an assessment tool to determine um, what might need changing, right? We're, we're coming back to the basics. We're not trying to be, you know, at the same level we were before. And for some people, that's the takeaway is that the world and you yourself are, are different and that different parts of you are now going to move forward. Um, we're not going to return to anything. There is no returning to when we talk in terms of psychology or biology. It's always what's next. We're always moving forward. That's the beauty. Everything's always changing and everything will always continue to. There's always another day coming. There's always another way to approach things, right? We never know what's ahead of us and really learning to not have a lot of fear around that. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to be doing some DMs and then we'll come back and keep hitting all the things that maybe are rooted in post-traumatic growth as a result of what we've just come out of. Stick around though for the DMs. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, we're back and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris, I broke up with my ex about eight months ago. I decided that I wanted to be single for the summer and just focus on me. All right. Well, of course, <laughs> I met someone who I really like. See, that's the beauty of attraction. You uh, meet someone and it doesn't matter what your plans were. You are, you are going to uh, make yourself ready. Uh, you said, but I feel like part of me isn't able to commit to her fully because of the idea I had of this summer and how I still want to be free and not tied down. I feel like I'm being selfish if I tell this person I don't want a relationship. Like, I don't think it's fair if I say, yes, I want to be with you, but let me be a hoe for the rest of my summer. I guess I'm wondering if there's a way to have both without feeling like I'm leading her on. Of course. Listen, everyone has to remember, <laughs> dating doesn't mean you're going to be my boyfriend or girlfriend. Dating doesn't mean it's going to absolutely lead to something. Dating is a wide open, slow, explorative process to figure out if you are someone I'm compatible with enough to want a relationship. Relationships are not what we begin with. We begin with dating. And again, dating is a slow explorative process to see if we should be in a relationship of a higher level of maybe commitment or exclusivity or prioritization. No one should expect you within the first couple of weeks and months of dating to be taking it any more seriously than dating requires. In early dating, you are not expected to be monogamous or serious, hear me say that, we date to decide if we should be in a relationship. Dating is not about exclusivity. Dating is not about monogamy. Dating is not a promise or commitment to anything. The first date doesn't promise there'll be a second. A fifth date doesn't promise there'll be a sixth date. We have to stop making so much pressurized, toxic monogamist thinking in early dating. Early dating, you require knowing anything other than care and compassion. So hang out with them. Get to know them and continue to have sex with other people and date other people. You are not in a committed, exclusive, monogamous relationship because you met someone cool or you hung out with them five times. Monogamy is something we talk about at some point and we have a right to say yes or no. You absolutely are doing nothing wrong, nor are you leading anyone on by saying, yes, I'm open to dating you to see if and where that can go, to see if and when we are compatible enough to maybe talk about something more exclusive, but there's no commitment that should or could be made from the early door. So... You are still free. Dating is a loose construct. 
and you are not leading someone on, nor are you being a hoe by saying, I want to have sex with others. I want to date others. I want to explore sexuality and relationality. But bad on her if she were to assume because you said yes to a date or hung out a handful of times that you have absolutely shut down sex and relationships with other people. That's ridiculous and that's their bad. <clears throat> that is what we call the relationship escalator in toxic monogamy. This assumption that one date means two dates, three dates means five dates, and that if you say yes to a date, you are talking to no one else, you've deleted your apps, and you've had sex with no one else. That's ridiculous, and that's also problematic. So date them. See if they're worth wanting more with, and if they are, you will, and if not, you won't. So be where you are. There's nothing wrong with where you are. And this is a lesson for people to learn on both ends of this question. <clears throat> you know, I think too many people start relationshiping without dating. And I tell people date more than one person at a time to really explore and figure out what's possible, what compatibility looks like, and to learn about yourself. So you should absolutely not shut down all of that just because you met someone super cool. And I know that makes some people anxious. Maybe it should. Maybe, you know, some of the listeners are expecting way too much based on a handful of dates. So take your time. Enjoy. Don't make a lot of meaning out of it until it's time to. There is no expectations until something is discussed. People cannot make any assumptions. So be where you are. I think you're in a great place. You know, you've come out of something, you're learning, you're growing, you're figuring out who you want to be. Do look back at the relationship you just left and think about who you want to be again, who you don't want to be again. Do look back at the past relationship to learn about what's, what you're capable of and what kind of behaviors maybe you don't want to take forward and you want to leave behind. So do make sure you do that explorative process. But outside of that, be where you are and have fun. If you have a question for us, those DMs come from the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You can put in there topics, questions, things you want us to circle back, drop deeper into. We love hearing from you topically and about your questions because someone else is wondering what you're wondering. And it's always anonymous, always confidential because that's the way it works. But uh, lots of gems to be learned. So put those in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And past episodes of the show over at wearechannelq.com. Stick around, y'all. So much more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around because we'll be right back. All right, y'all, we're back and we're looking at uh, how we're different as a result of the pandemic, but we're focusing on the positives. More importantly, what are the takeaways? What are the things upon reflection we learned about ourselves and the world and kind of taking those forward? And we were talking first about this whole idea of coping mechanisms and just really saying like, hey, I've, I've maybe established new ones or really strengthened and internalized in a stronger way some old ones. How do I want to shift my relationship to those things? What do I want to leave behind? What do I want to take forward? And then we're looking at what we can control. Now we're looking at, and I love this quote, this is from a piece of research I was looking at. It said, set that damn bar low. And I was like, oh my God, preaching to the choir. I've been saying that for months. We got to lower our, our involvement in everything, 70% max, no more, no sweat, no whatever, no more, no pain, no game. We're not, we don't want pain. We don't want sweat. We're taking it easy on ourselves. I want us to go to the gym and work out less. I want us to go to the gym and not work out as hard at our jobs. I want us to do 70%. We're not, we're not pushing ourselves. We're not burning out anymore. Too many people were living in burnout. That is not mental health. This is a mental health centered show. It will always be mental health first before all else because Everything is impacted by our mental health. It's the core. It's woven into everything. And we over-focus on money and materialism. And we over-focus on our ego and identity and career. And we over-focus on our bodies, which again is another form of materialism. The uh, you know uh, objects, superficiality. And we know from all the research in mental health and happiness that it's actually about contentment. And contentment is about being happy with where we are and what we have. Contentment is not about pushing ourselves. No research shows that happiness is built from constantly challenging yourself, being in burnout, being in burnout and always pursuing something with goals. No, believe it or not, the happiness is not tied to goal achievement. Happiness is tied to contentment. Happiness is tied to relationality. But I'm not going to go off on a tangent about that because I want to do an entire show on it because I've really spent some time researching it and I have there's some new insights, some new elements, even bringing in some neurology. It's profound. It's really been meaningful for me. So let's stay with the topic, but we're dropping the bar. We're not living in exhaustion anymore. When we're tired, we're resting. We're not drinking more coffee or Red Bull. It's the sound bite I give all the time. You've heard it before from me. Um, we're backing off. We're backing down. We're letting go. 70% max in every area of our lives. The house doesn't have to be 100% clean and perfect. 70% clean and perfect is all we're expecting of ourselves. But that's also what we're only expecting on those around us as well. 70%. There's too many things for us to worry about. We're burnout, we're at a limit. And so we're not pushing other people either. 
Here's another insight that I thought was really powerful. And it's something I talked a lot about on the show during peak pandemic time. And now we have to apply it because we have the election coming. We have Roe v. Wade. We have um, Don't Say Gay. We have drag queens getting attacked for reading to children. I mean, my God, the pile is endless. We're learning that, guess what? Distraction is healthy. Yeah, it's healthy. Go watch a movie for a few hours and zone out. Go, depending on where you live, and use some medicinal stuff that helps you zone out. Go read a book for a few hours. Lay in fantasy, masturbate, have sex, watch some you know, entertainment, whether it's an action film, an erotic film, a comedy. We're using arts and entertainment to kind of pull us away from ourselves. We, the, there's a healthy form of suspension of reality. And denial is one of those things. I wouldn't use the word denial directly. I prefer the word dissociation. I know we tend to have a negative connotation to that as a result of trauma and events around us, but there's a healthy version of that where you're just saying, I'm acknowledging all that's going on around me, but I'm gonna take time away from my awareness of that. I'm suspending reality, which is what we do when we read a book or watch a movie. We suspend reality. We don't, we don't remind ourselves, this is a movie, those are actors, that's not really happening, that's CGI, that's a blue screen. No, we buy into it so that we can go on the journey. I want us to do that in terms of our mental health as well. Let your mind wander, you know, get into a song, dance, read a book, just kind of check out for a little bit. That's actually a healthy and acceptable tool that we don't talk enough about. Um, another thing we realized, and this was something I advocated for exhaustively and I need to do it more and, you know, long-term, long-time listeners have heard me coming back and forth with this, but the whole idea of saying to people, how's your mental health? I want us to get better at processing and sharing emotions. There's something transformative and healing in bearing witness to, or having someone else bear witness to your emotional processing and sharing. So I just said something about dissociation being good, and now I'm saying sharing our emotions is good, and you have to kind of descent, depend, uh, decide and depend on the use of either of those in reference to what you're needing, because sometimes we don't wanna talk about it, and that's okay, and sometimes we do need to. So I don't agree that it's always better to talk about it. Well, not to exhaustion, not to a point of ruminating, not to a point of burning ourselves out, not to a point of walking ourselves into a traumatic state. Sometimes we do need to say, you know what, I'm done talking about it because I don't need to be living in it or re-experiencing it right now, because I've done enough of that, or I'm gonna do that later. And when I went through my breakup, I remember a lot of people being like, hey, it's good to talk about. And I said, no, I need a break from it. I'm constantly thinking it, feeling it, and talking about it. I need a break. I need to dissociate from it. I need to, sus- to suspend the reality that this is even happening and just ground myself in other thoughts and activities and experiences. But at the same time, there was moments when I did need someone to hold space and to process that with me. You have to check in on that. All right, we're going to come back and talk more about this. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we're back. And uh, we're talking about some things that we've walked away from this pandemic with, even though we're still in it, that have been meaningful, reasonable, but more importantly, tools that I want us to stick in our little backpack, you know, for mental health work um, as needed, when needed, applying it now. And one of the things we're talking about is post-traumatic growth and how as a result of some difficult things, we often walk away with some benefits. And again, we're not saying, oh, you know, have gratitude for that deep, dark event that occurred. We're just saying, hey, this is a real thing. And let's critically analyze maybe what we can learn, um, whether it's our experience or someone else's. And we're just talking about the health of denial and dissociation, how we don't wanna be fully confronted with reality at all times. And this whole idea that it's good to talk about it is true. And I'm always advocating for people to say, hey, how's your mental health? Because what does that do? Reminds other people that we're a safe resource. It tells other people that we're actually interested and care about that and it reminds us to make sure we really do process however there is a point at which maybe you're ruminating and obsessing and so it isn't always best to talk about it we do want to we do need that capacity we know that the number one thing that prevents post-traumatic stress in a very problematic way is whether or not people have access to other people if as soon as possible, and again, how soon it takes to access people and whether or not you have supportive people is what decreases the impact. But we know that that's a very helpful tool. And so if you're dealing with something difficult, as soon as you can, find community, find connection and process and share. But again, we do need time away from that as well so that we're not constantly keeping our bodies in a state of fight or flight. 
And so we do need to sometimes say, I need a break from that. I need to dissociate from that. You know, I've already talked about it enough. I need my body to rest. So we do want to process emotions, but we do want to make sure we're not over processing. You burn yourself out. You also burn out the people around you. And that matters too. We don't want to be, um, what's the word? Marginalizing ourselves or ostracizing ourselves or making others not want to be around us. So do be thoughtful of that. Some people are constantly processing and over-processing, but it's really just rumination and obsession. And a good friend would say, hey, we've spent enough time talking about that. Let's actually practice transitioning out of that because mental health is also about flexibility and adaptability, not obsessing, not gripping. Often the work is about letting go, acceptance and allowing. Acknowledging it's there, but saying, I'm not going to battle it. There's nothing I can do. I'm going to let go. Um, I've had to say that to some friends lovingly. We've processed this to death. Let's let's take a break away from it. My nervous system, I'll say, at least I know needs a time away from that. Um, so that's important. Um, and as I said, this is another thing that came up in the research. As a result of what we just went through, a lot of people were dramatizing, catastrophizing, and we're learning how to work with our thinking and acknowledge that our brain has a negativity bias. Our brain also has a catastrophizing bias, meaning we crank up everything. We dramatize it. And so we constantly have to be asking ourselves, am I focusing exclusively and only on the negative? Am I right-sizing it or am I dramatizing it? Because often the answer is to crank it down a little bit. And often the answer is to say, well, things aren't as bad as I'm claiming they are. I was reading um, a couple DMs and they were rooted in someone saying things like, none of my friends like my boyfriend. And it's like, really, none? Is that true? Oh, well, no, some do. Okay, but that, that qualification matters. It really, really does significantly. And so we always want to ask ourselves when we're using these definitive um, <clears throat> terms like always, never, like, challenge that. That's a cognitive distortion because our feelings are tied to how we think. Also stated as our feelings are tied to the stories and narratives we create and we truly create them. We're often not rooted or living in reality and we're focusing just on the negative or we're catastrophizing and dramatizing. And so this year I'm going to work a lot with all you on uh, all my listeners, just like I'm working on with my patients in really examining our thinking and thinking about our thinking, not just buying right into it. It's often not correct. It's based on our experience. And then we project it on other people and we don't hold space for the fact that they might have a different experience and that the way we see things aren't the way, isn't the way they see things. But we don't work well with our thinking. If we think it, we believe it. If we think it, we feel it. And we have to interrogate our feeling and our thinking, our feelings and our thinking a little bit better and say, is that true? Is that correct? Is that the narrative I want to create around this? Because all the narratives are, are made up. Any narrative or storyline you have on your breakup, why you got fired, those are stories you're making up. They're very rarely rooted in fact, but even when they are rooted in fact, you still get to decide the story about those facts. If you got fired because your job performance was horrible, you decide if that is something that is true or not. You might say, well, yes, I didn't have the right skills for that job, and so it was good that I'm not working there anymore. That's a very healing, positive narrative. Or you can have the narrative, I don't do anything right, I don't fit in anywhere. But notice that we're using these like really big words of never, nowhere. That's just not true. There are places you fit in, and that distinction matters. It's like when I talk to people about their difficulty with dating. I never meet anyone I like. That's not true. You meet a lot of people you like. They just might not necessarily be interested in you. Or they'll say something like, no one's interested in me. And I'll be like, yes, there are people interested in you. Maybe not the people you'd want to be interested in you, but there are people that are. And we need to realize that reality and soften it and examine your choices that you're making. Because people do like you. And what might you be doing that's getting in your own way of connecting with the people that are interested in you? Often it's ego. Often it's fantasy. But that's for a whole nother topic. We're staying on point tonight. Um, so be very thoughtful about that, that you don't just immediately buy into a thought you have or a feeling you have as though it's completely true or correct because that's what you're thinking and that's how you perceive it. Lighten that up. That's also an important relational skill. So focus on that. We believe ourselves way, way too much. Um, another thing is, I thought this was really fascinating. Um, the difficulty, but yet importance of finding fun and joy, even in difficult times. That was something I was working with a lot of my clients on saying, yes, what's going on is going on, but we can still honor that and feel that it also create carve and acknowledge space for things that make us happy and feel good. 
And I had to do that during a difficult time when I was going through grief and loss. And I had to say, I can just only exclusively live, feel, and see grief and loss, or I can also try to step outside of that. All right, we're going to come back and talk more about that. So don't go anywhere. Um, important stuff, y'all. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we're back and we're just finishing up our discussion of this concept that's kind of about post-traumatic growth and how dark, deep, scary, anxiety-inducing, problematic events can still have us walking away with some new perspectives, things that we can carry with us. And we're talking a, kind of, it's kind of all over the place because it, it's really going to be specific as to how you can look back on an event and what you can learn about the world, yourself. Um, but we're just talking about how we don't want to overly buy immediately into the narratives we place upon an event or the thinking. We want to think about our thinking and not buy right into it. Same thing with our feelings, how distraction is healthy. We're dropping the bar for ourselves. I talk about that a lot. It was really great to see that coming up in a lot of the mental health research. So definitely onto something with that one. Um, switching up our coping mechanisms, not over rely upon the same things and looking at what are the forms that we might've developed through this recent difficult time and what do we want to leave behind and take with us? Um, also kind of focusing on just what's in front of us one day at a time. What a beautiful, beautiful perspective that sometimes we just have to kind of say, let me figure out what I need to do today. And I'm just going to focus on that and I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, you know? Um, also what came up that I thought was interesting and we don't talk about this a lot is you know, I was talking about how during times that are difficult, we, we do want to allow some joy and pleasure. Um, and then there's this idea of creating things to look forward to. I, I talk about that with people that are in long distance relationships, know when you're going to see them next so that it doesn't feel like this endless void ahead of you. And we, our anxiety is reduced significantly when we have a plan. And that's kind of part of that. We have a plan. I know how often I'll see you, or at least every time we hang out, we'll decide the next time we're going to hang out. It makes you feel good. Even with dating, it can feel great. You know, with dates winding down, you're like, oh, I had a lot of fun, maybe a little smooching. And you're like, hey, when, you know, when can we hang out again? And you kind of put something on the books. But we need that in our general lives. It can't just be like, oh, this long week ahead of me. And it's like, I have no idea what day it is, what month it is, or just the week seems long. But if you're like, okay, but Saturday, I'm super stoked for A, B, and C, it helps. Or tonight, I get to get home and, you know, my new show comes out or we're going to go see this movie or whatever it is. It's really helpful because it provides certainty. It provides structure. More importantly, it can make us have a little bit of joy in our day at the anticipatoriness of what's ahead. So it's not just that we're going to have pleasure while it's happening, but we also have that anticipatory pleasure knowing that it's going to happen. And you can smile every time you think of it or see it in your calendar. Um, it also reminds us that we're not just nothing but drones at work, you know, pumping out work. Cause some people say that all I do is work. All I do is work. And I'm like, oh, well then we need the reminders that we're doing important things other than just work, that there's pleasure ahead. And also it makes sure that you're living a life worth living. You know, I think that that's also important. Um, I don't want people to wake up and just think all I have today is work and labor. We need to be reminded that our lives can be punctuated with joy and pleasure and things like that. So create things to look forward to. It'll kind of reduce some of that dread. 
We've talked enough about basic self-care that came up a lot, but yes, these recent events have reminded us how important that is, how important it is to anchor ourselves in self-care and have our lives kind of, you know, revolve around that as opposed to the inverse. Also, I re- I said this when, when pandemic was like really just happening and we were deeply in it. I talked a lot about this, how I wanted it to remind us how important community is and how we do need to look out for each other. And you saw people getting groceries for their, you know, immunocompromised neighbors and things like that. I want us to keep that ball in the air. I want us to continue to do that. I think if nothing else, that's such a beautiful takeaway from these difficult times. And I see that happening with the Roe v. Wade stuff where people are like, come to my state where abortion is legal, where we we actually do care about life and we actually do care about body autonomy and we're mental health centered and you can stay here as long as you need and get healthcare accessed here. Like that's another form of community and collective care. That's really, really, really beautiful. So I want us to take advantage of communities and community resource. We don't have to do things on our own. And um, I saw a lot of that happening during pandemic. I want us to maintain that. I want us to be refocused on what matters and what's really important. And that's a huge part of that. Um, and then I guess the final point point is this whole idea that we get to decide what comes next. Um, you know, nothing is necessarily predetermined and we get to decide how we move through this next phase. Um, there is no normal that we're going back to and we get to be a part of deciding what this new normal should be. And so really ask yourself, like we're going from one moment in time to another and how do I want this next time or phase of my life what do I want it to be about? What do I want it to be rooted in? It's kind of like uh, New Year's, you know, New Year's resolutions. Everyone's like, all right, what do I want to do in this new year? Well, we get to do that as a result of these historical, political, socio-collective moments as well. And a page is definitely getting turned. I want people to become more activistic, speak up, you know, take to the streets, really pay attention to who they're voting for and, and really, really, really help create a new shift because we're watching, you know, um, environmental protections get weakened, uh, body autonomy get destroyed, um, all sorts of things. I'm not going to itemize it all. I don't need to trigger anybody. Um, a lot of people listen to the show to get away from that stuff. So I, I definitely appreciate it, which is why I've kind of backed off on reporting on the news, giving everyone a little bit of a safe haven, um, but mental health centered at the same time. So Um, So there's a reminder, focus on your mental health, ask those around you how their mental health is doing and how yours is and focus on self-care, pleasure, joy, and rest, you know, and I'll keep reminding you that. And then we'll be doing some DMs when we come back. So if you got a DM for us, question or topic, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. I've been circling back and hitting a lot of popular topics. So I'll be doing that again. Um, Stick around, more to come. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right, let's see. Um, All right, here we go. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been with my boyfriend for two years. I've always known that he had a little bit of mental illness, but it was never diagnosed. Recently, he was officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder. He was taking his medication for about four months and everything got so much better. I promised him that I would never leave him. Uh, We should not make promises like that because we can't make promises like that because sometimes things change and we do sometimes need to take care of ourselves. Maybe we realize we aren't compatible anymore. Maybe we grow apart. Maybe someone no longer fulfills their part of the deal, which means they work on staying sober, taking their medication and being a good person. And if those things shift and change, it makes sense for someone to say, this is a relationship that's not right for me to be a part of. So I do wanna discourage people from making statements like, I'll never leave you. You cannot say that. There's no point in your life where you can know what's possibly coming and say, I'll never leave you. Some relationships end and a lot of relationships need to end. A lot of relationships that are in existence right now should probably be ending because they're toxic, they're problematic, because people don't know how to be good partners. So please don't say things like that because that isn't something that you can actually say. All you could say is, I'm here as long as this is right for both of us. I'm here as long as both of us are taking care of each other. I'm here as long as you do the things you need to do to be able to be a good partner to me. That's what we should say. Back to your question. You said last week he told me that he wanted to get off his medication. See, here's my point. And you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is the difference between red flags and deal breakers. And deal breakers are things that mean the relationship has to end immediately because we literally don't have one anymore, symbolically or literally, or one of the partners isn't again doing what they need to do to be able to be a good partner. Deal breakers are things like undealt with mental health and drug and alcohol issues. 
And so if a partner who requires the use of medication to be accessible as a partner is no longer or willing to take their medication, well then yes, it's very reasonable for you to say, if that's the route you're gonna go, then you're not available to be a partner and we don't have a relationship. Please continue to take your medication. I've been in relationships with people where I was able to identify pretty early on that they definitely had a problematic relationship with alcohol. And I said to them, I'm not interested in forming a relationship with someone who can't be available to me because of their alcohol use. And so in order for us to continue seeing each other, you would have to look at that and deal with that. But if you're continuing to drink problematically, this isn't right for me. And I don't care if that's one year, three years, five years, or 35 years. The other person should say, you as a human being in the relationship means enough to me that I'm gonna do what I need to do to be accessible and present and available. Um, so this is a big deal. Back to your question though. You said last week, he said he wants to get off the medication, which this isn't uncommon where people will take medications. They will start to feel better and then they'll, you know, confuse themselves and think that they can now go it without the meds, even though the meds are what helped them stabilize. So I'm really sorry to hear that. That's, that's hard for both of you. You said, while I respect his rights to choose, which I also do respect that, um, I don't think you said I can stay with him if he's off his meds. We fight all the time and sometimes it gets really bad. I do love him and I do want to support him, but I need to go. Is this wrong of me? No, you, you know, relationships should only exist when it's in the best interest of all people involved, period, end of story. We don't have to have them. We have them because again, we want companionship. We want barred functioning. We want co-regulation. We want someone to move through life with. And if someone is off their meds who needs to be on them to function, or continues to drink or use drugs problematically, they are not available. So there isn't a relationship. And you have to explain that to that person. That is bare minimum. And yes, he has a right to choose. And his choice might be, I'm gonna go off, thereby also choosing to not have a relationship with you. Because what I don't want you to do is set a rule. I want you to set a boundary. And boundaries are where we say what we will or will not do. And you're saying, I will not be in a relationship with someone who requires medication and is no longer willing to take it. And it's up to him to decide based on his right to choose and body autonomy what he wants to do with that option. It's like masks. Some stores say you have to wear a mask to come in here. That isn't a violation of your freedom. You don't have to go in. But if you go in, you must follow their boundary that they're setting to protect themselves. And this is a version of that. So you have my full support, all said with care and compassion for your partner. But if he's not willing to take the meds to be accessible as a partner, well, then there is no relationship to be had. And that's heartbreaking. All right, y'all, that is our show. We'll be back tomorrow night, so join us then. If you got some questions or topics, put them in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And past episodes of the show is always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline, and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Be kind to yourselves and those around you, y'all. As always, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, drop that bar, y'all. And uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Good night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 